Welcome back, Red Spotters. Another show here on the Red Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Soto, joined by Mr. Peter Martinez. Today we have a movie review for the brand new Kaiju Bonanza Godzilla vs. Kong, currently out in theaters and on HBO Max, as well as a lot of the news that's breaking from the movie world regarding Ryan Johnson's new trilogy, not Star Wars related, coming to Netflix, you know, with Daniel Craig, as well as the box office coming back to life, and Warner Brothers plotting a new path forward for its DC films. All that and more here on Red Spotlight number 312. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and start off with what we saw this week. Clearly, there are some of the things that we saw this week. We'll be discussing it at you know in greater length, like the film itself, Godzilla vs. Kong. But there are, of course, some other smaller stuff that we did uh, see. Um, Peter brought this up, and evidently there was a second version of the Suicide Squad trailer. You know, we discussed the first version yeah. last week, and so here we are. Um, it was fine. Um, it was more of the same. Damn. It was more of the same. I Already growing salver on the film. It was more of the same. I, it's only been a week. I didn't really need to see it. I mean, I didn't need it in my life. I think the first trailer... Damn. The first, but the first trailer, though keeps getting better and better upon rewatch so there is that peter <laughs> it was fine I'm, you're gonna be you're gonna be hating this movie by the time it comes out it God was damn. fine i thought it was very good i thought it showed a lot of interesting things like that i liked um i liked the rat catcher I like that you get to see her. It's the one surrounded by rats. Oh, okay. Ratcatcher 2. <laughs> um, I assume the first Ratcatcher is either dead or something, because her official name is Ratcatcher 2. Um, I enjoyed the new scenes of the characters. I enjoyed the 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 sort of opening monologue i have no idea who's saying it but basically like you villains think you're all dark and deep but you're nothing but a bunch of losers and (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was great i thought that was funny they're playing it for serious right there but i I assume it in the actual film it will be less serious Mm -hmm. because they do that sometimes right um yeah no overall I really liked the extra footage. They confirmed that... What's his name? TKD? Shoot. Whatever. Nathan Fillion's character. He... I think it's like... His name... Detachable Arm Kid or something. Oh. His whole power is that he can detach his arms. Right. (laughs) And that was confirmed. Right. Because he had his, his arms apart. I liked it. I thought it was really good. Now, you said that they're making it pretty obvious as to which of the ones that are going to get killed off immediately. So do you have, you want to play some bets right now to see who you think will be the first batch to be killed off? Oh, for and sure. And which ones are um, safe for like throughout most okay. of the film? Pete Davidson, 
looks like he dies <laughs> almost immediately. Uh-huh. Um, Weasel, I think, will die. I think, honestly, I think everyone in that, that first team dies. Which is really so, so Weasel, um, Javelin. Javelin. What about Michael Rooker? Mm-hmm. Right. There's actually a shot in the trailer where Michael Rooker looks all like, puts his hand to his mouth all shocked or scared or something. Yeah. It, se- it feels like that team has like one action scene. Yeah. It feels like the beginning of the film is like you get this squad together and they go in and they have their big action scene and then they all die. And then they, <laughs> so then Waller, Amanda Waller goes, okay, we need a new team, you know, bring up the B team or whatever, right. or not even the B team, but just bring back the, the other guys. Again, like one of the big ones, at least from the first one is what's his name? Captain Boomerang. Yeah. Again, they only show scenes of Captain Boomerang from seemingly the beginning of the film and that one action scene. <laughs> And after that, I assume that Starro is, if not the third act, incredibly close to it. So the ones that will make it to there are Harley Quinn. Um, what's his name? The Shark. King Shark. King Shark. Um. Idris Elba, mm-hmm. and who else? Polka Dot Man. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think that might be it. Oh, Ratcatcher. Rat, I don't know if Ratcatcher was there. Um, but those individuals make it as far as the third act, I would say. And the rest, <laughs> and even then, after that, those some of those could die. So far, it seems as if the trailer has been uh, received rather well. It has very well. So, you were talking about a particular show that a lot of people are actually uh, talking about on social media, and yet, um, what show? Amazon Prime. Invincible. Oh, yeah, I did see so that. So I think yes. they dropped the first three episodes. Now episode four is on there. It's this new, I believe, superhero animated series with uh, J.K. Simmons and Stephen Yun. Um, and of the people who have seen it, it has been driving a kind of buzz out there. Although there are some others who would suggest that no one's really watching the show. Um, but based on what I have seen and what I have seen are a couple of like promotional images from a trailer. Yeah, I can see it, um, being one of those shows that people love. Um, so there's that (laughs) you've, you've seen some of it. I understand. I have seen the first three episodes because that is all they have released so far. If they had released everything, I would have finished it by now. Uh Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, it's really good. 
it's really well done. It's funny. It's interesting. It's got a hell of a hook to get you invested in the storyline. Um, it's a bit subversive mm. as far as superhero. It likes you can you can tell it loves to play with superhero tropes mm. and your preconceived ideas of superheroes and their worlds. Mm -hmm. Within the Invincible universe, you see a lot of... Uh, I wouldn't say doppelgangers, but clear representations that are meant to remind you and fulfill a certain checkbox of a type of superhero. So you have the biggest superhero team within that universe and each member very much represents a member of the justice league you have a wonder woman type character you have a superman type character you have a martian manhunter type character aquaman type character flash type character um and your main character goes through a similar beginning to something like spider-man um, he is the son to Omni-Man, and Omni-Man is very much a Superman-type um, character. So he's kind of the son of Superman, so he starts around puberty, he starts getting his powers, and he's still in high school, and there's a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff, but then also him becoming a superhero, and there's there's all of that. Um, and the the show pl plays it pretty close to its chest during the first episode, but by the end of the first, by the end of that episode, it tells you everything you thought this was gonna be. It's not gonna be, <laughs> and it tells you pretty loud and clear. And it continues that to the second and third episode. Um, and it could have been sort of gimmicky, but it's not. Because the characters are actually really interesting and they're really fun. And again, you, only with three characters, not three characters, three episodes, um, I'm really interested to like, okay, I really want to know what happens with this character. They've hinted this with this character. You know, I really want to see where this goes. Um, it's really interesting. So yeah, I'm... I'm really digging it. And again, I love that it's animated. The animation is really good. The action is really good. Like, again, if this was... I do agree to some extent that it's not getting the love that I think maybe it should. It is... Because, I don't know, I feel like... I feel it will. I know, feel it will eventually. I hope so. It got, it's got a hell of a talent. Like, that voice cast. Um, They got Walter Go Walton Goggins, I think. Is that his name? Walter Goggins for for one of the characters and yeah it's it's a stacked voice cast beautiful animation really well put together it was written by um what's his name fuck I forgot his name but he's the original writer of the because it started out as a comic book he also wrote the Walking Dead comic book Kirkman uh, Kirkman Robert Kirkman yes. Robert Kirkman 
Mm-hmm. And he's, I think he wrote the first episode. And he's like a executive producer on this one. And they're even teasing a live action film. And he's like, they're going to be very different. You know, the animated film to the live action film. Um, yeah, I don't know what they would do with the live action film. I'm actually really curious what that would be and how they would go about it. Uh, but no, yeah, as far as, cause I like superhero animated shows, Batman, the animated series, especially HBO Max has them all up now, you know, going back, there's a lot of really good ones. I, I really got into them starting with Young Justice. Mm. That was one of the big ones that everyone freaking loved. And I would watch the Spider-Man one growing up. So, yeah, this is a very different kind of one, obviously. <laughs> but it's more adult-oriented I'm, I'm based on those trailers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, it's some, it seems like something much. you might find on Adult Swim based on what it looks like. But I don't mean to the quality <clears throat> of it. I mean to the 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 look of it's it. adult yeah yeah well yeah you know what now that i think it well mm-hmm. shoot i don't even remember adult swim they have a lot of anime don't they i think that's where i, I first saw attack on titan mm-hmm. or was that toonami i don't even remember or was toonami for toonami was more anime but there was also anime yeah that's what i mean adult anime swim but Adult Swim has adult, like, the only, like, serious adult stuff they have is, like, anime, I think. Mm. <laughs> so, if this were an anime, 100%, I could see it. <laughs> as, as, as adult. The only thing that's holding it back from being, like, an Adult Swim show is um, its uh, artistic style, I guess. <laughs> but, I don't know, it's, it's good. I really enjoyed it. Well, um... Yeah, I mean, all that sounds like a great show. Is there a reason why this wasn't one of the shows um, you recommended to me? Um, I say that, well, I, I asked that question in case people aren't aware, because when Peter brought this up to our mm-hmm. group, I conspicuously, my name was left off the people who he considered would be interested in something like this. So I'm just <laughs> wondering... And of course, uh, as easy yeah. as as pie, uh, the people who he tagged immediately re- expressed interest in what he recommended. Even though I've been talking about Ted Lasso for months now, and no one seems to mm-hmm. have taken up my offer about how what a good show it is. So, hey, there it is. Does it involve sports? Yeah, but it's not about sports. Yeah, it's. Mm. I mean, it, it involves it, but like, like if you're gonna ask me, is the show about a soccer team? No, no, it really isn't. It's about this person. It's a character-focused uh, uh, show. The soccer—it's the the soccer aesthetic. But again, I'm not a big fan of sports either. So I mean, I get the apprehension for wanting to get involved into something like this because you look at the aesthetic and that's like, wait—is this a sports show? Why the fuck would I care? It ain't that. It ain't that. Well, to answer your question, the reason why you weren't tagged was because uh, you have such a backlog of things that you need to get to and watch that I know 
even if I recommend this show to you, it would it would take about fifty years before it would come up in your list mm. of of things you need to see first. Getting to what I saw this week, um, I'm actually three episodes away from finishing an eleven season run of Modern Family. <laughs> That's my point, right? I'm three episodes <laughs> away. Um. And it's at the point... You're going to cry? Well, luckily enough, HBO Max has kind of given us a godsend. All six seasons of The Nanny have now dropped. So, I might... And that's where you will be I now. think that's where I'll be to get my sitcom fix. Because um, that's a show that I think is also coming up on the 10 years that I have not seen since. So, um, I, I, I adore The Nanny. I remember really loving it um, when they would show... It at Nick at Night and TV Land. So the fact that it's on HBO Max, um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, generally speaking, it is regarded well, but it's still kind of a little underrated. I love that show. It's not as big, I guess, as your bigger ones, but it is big. It's not as big because, I mean, I guess six seasons at a time where like most sitcoms ran over that. But again, I mean, I, I I thought it was generally successful and it wrapped up its story rather well. So, I mean, it's not the only sitcom that had Shit's Creek had six seasons, um, Parks and Rec had seven, Golden Girls had seven. I think all of those shows actually ended up on top. So, which you can't say for most sitcoms, you know. Having seen now Modern Family, um. They the first six seasons are really strong. Seasons seven, eight, and nine are very stagnant and meandering. And like, what are we doing here? Is it? And this is my belief. Is it like when the kids went off to college and stuff? The where it started to feel well. The kids never leave the show. They age up. They do college and other things, but they're like. They don't leave the show. They're there. Yeah, I know, but it probably clearly affects the dynamic. It does. It does. Um, other characters are involved, uh, some less than others. However, um, <laughs> there's yeah. a reason why on animated family sitcoms, they just, the characters never age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because their i their dynamics are never hurt because they they never have to age. Yeah, look at all the great ones. Yeah, but uh, I mean, for the most part, um, seasons ten and eleven have kind of rebounded to where it's like it's it's getting to a place where it can like end um, in a reasonably well. But I mean, it's it's one of those shows you just put on. And it's like it's there and it's fun, and it's a lot of episodes. So yeah, the nanny. I might do that one next, and then I also. I'm not decided yet on what else to start on. Um, but yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, whatever that may be and what I want to decide to start watching. So yeah, yeah. Maybe you can watch Invincible. Well, I have some movies, as a matter of fact, to get to. So you and I have to do some watching because in the next couple of weeks, the films that... Um, well, I've already seen... Promising Young Woman and The Father. But I do want to watch them again, you know, to get ready for our review. So, and then I also need to see Minari. 
and then probably also Mank. So, yeah. And I feel like we have to do it now because the Oscars are technically this month. And I I believe, and, you know, Peter, if you're on your phone, which you certainly seem to be, um, if you could please remind the Red Spotlight panel that this is the month that we're doing the top 10 show, as in our top 10 movies of 2020. Um, assuming we're still planning on doing it, and I intend on doing it, as do you. Um, I would hope that the team is somewhat prepared for something that they have been given, uh, I don't know, a couple of months Ample to time. Yeah, a, a couple of months to get ready on. I need to see just a couple more movies and then I'm good, honestly. I think I'm mostly good. I just need to see Minari um, at this point. I need four or five. Mm-hmm. I think I, by the end, I will have seen more films than uh, any year before. Which is really ludicrous because it, it felt very much like there were less movies to have ever seen, ever, in the history of mm-hmm. movies for most of us. And it definitely is reflected in my list. <laughs> imagine how 2021 is going to be. Oh boy. Yeah, I still don't understand where you find these movies. Like, half the movies you always list off, I've never heard of. And they're great. Anyway, uh, if we're done with this, let's go ahead and get into some of the news of the week that we haven't uh, gotten to in a bit. So, San Diego Comic-Con obviously was canceled last year due to the COVID pandemic. And they are planning on having, I think, a two-day virtual event july which is usually when they have their conference shall we say um but they also announced an out of the blue in-person gathering for 2021 this seemed to be it very much felt like a last minute decision um and then when you actually think about the date in which they decided to convene thanksgiving weekend 2021 an in-person event and a lot of people are angry over this. A lot of reporters uh, whose job would involve covering the convention are very upset that they're now being, you know, put in a position to abandon their families for a second year in a row to go cover this convention. A lot of uh, talent uh, from major studios have actually already uh, expressed no desire whatsoever to participate in this. Uh, because of the choice to have it on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and then, as we always like to quote, you know, um, Ms. Randolph, she evidently has heard that the reason for why... Um, no, actually, I'm not even sure what the reason is, but, like, uh, if this doesn't go well, San Diego Comic-Con goes bankrupt. So there is that to consider. I know for years... They have been, Comic-Con has wanted to leave San Diego. I think San Diego, San Diego has Diego... wanted them to leave, haven't, haven't they? Or No, the opposite. Okay. Comic-Con has wanted to find a bigger venue, and San Diego has been saying, no, 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 stay here, stay here. They, they've been wanting to keep Comic-Con in San Diego, and it's obvious, it's, it's a big money earner. For the city. Um, 
I don't see this helping their prospects that it'll stay in San Diego. Uh, yeah, this is ridiculous. I don't know why they thought this would be a good... I don't know who thought this would be a good idea. It's just really stupid. Like, I don't know how it gets past any sort of decision-making. <laughs> like, I assume, you know, I don't know. They're they're at a table, and they're like, okay, as we're deciding, which should it be? Oh, Thanksgiving weekend. You're fired. <laughs> that was stupid. Get out. <laughs> Especially when you're already having issues um, fitting Comic-Con in San Diego. And, and, you know, you're having, I don't know, size issues. Uh you're already going to have a bunch of people, I assume, within the city for Thanksgiving. It's just going to add complications. I, Travel's already a, a nightmare idea. for Thanksgiving, let alone... Travel's already a nightmare for Thanksgiving. They're on top of that Comic-Con, like, finding hotels. Uh, it's It sounds like pandemonium. Stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. That's <laughs> that's That's my only thing. There'll probably be negative repercussions because of it, and... Uh, yeah. What's wrong with September? That feels like a better date, right? Like September? I'm not part of the decision making. I assume there's maybe something <laughs> wrong with September. I don't know. But I can I can tell you there sure as hell is something wrong with Thanksgiving weekend. So since you say that San Diego has been trying to get them to stay and Comic-Con has been saying that they want to leave, do you feel like this could be Maybe the backhanded intent for this is to bomb and that way they have a reasonable excuse to get the fuck out of San Diego. No, I think that's because at the end of the day, it's a money -making if they business. don't want to be with right. San Diego, like it's up to them. Like it's why would they destroy their own thing? It doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's not great to do this and i it, it does make me wonder though how they're going to pull this off if they do intend on doing this who's gonna be there exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well uh here i have jar jar binks which had previously been rumored to make an appearance of some sort on the upcoming upcoming Kenobi Disney Plus live action show. Uh, I think it was uh, Ahmed Best uh, confirmed that he will not be appearing in Kenobi, which is a shame because at this point, considering what we know of Kenobi, um, that would have been the only thing remotely interesting. And <laughs> now that's gone, so. Yeah. I, I, I've probably made this clear before. I couldn't give two fucks about a Kenobi show, movie, whatever. I, mm, it's fucking, it just, it just seems so fucking boring to me. I don't care. I don't care. Call me when there's a Jar Jar Binks show. And I mean that unironically. <laughs> I would watch a Jar Jar Binks show. Yeah, that would be pretty fun, wouldn't it? Could be a redemptive tale of sorts. Yeah. 
It's too bad the controlling Turned interest of wacky situation. Well, it's too bad the controlling interest of Star Wars fans would never let that happen. No, they would never. I don't know if they would hate it, but they sure as hell wouldn't ask for it. No, <laughs> no one's gonna be asking to release the Jar Jar cut. <laughs> the Jar Jar. <laughs> Oh God! Isn't it crazy now that um, because of this thing that happened with Zack Snyder and getting his like you know the release the Snyder Cut movement was so successful that HBO Max funded it and released it on their streaming platform? But isn't it hilarious how that in and of itself has sparked like this new like um, hot question to ask people if there's like a special like extended cut of anything? So like the Ayer cut or when Margot Robbie spoke to you this week about there being a supposed twenty hour cut of once upon a time in hollywood by quentin tarantino it seemed to really annoy the hell out of you when i shared that post because it just fundamentally misunderstands filmmaking <laughs> and i'm not like some expert but this is just like basic one-on-one filmmaker they shoot for like three for these big films they shoot for two to three months they've got probably days of footage like a fuck ton of footage they have an assembly cut which is just kind of getting just the basic things ideas of things they want in that order which is really fucking long and then from there they just keep cutting it down and down and down till they have the movie that they want that it, just because footage exists doesn't mean it's meant to go into the film Every single film you have ever seen in your entire life has footage that did not go into the final cut. And that's fine because that's how filmmaking works. Not everything that is shot is meant to go up on the screen. Um, but, yeah. It's just kind of annoying that people are thinking that way now like oh there could be a, a, a six hour cut of this film or there could be a four no there can't shut the fuck up and it's like you got you got your justice league movie please we're done well, i guess we're not done again right restore the snyderverse uh, th those people seemingly are never going to shut up are they because i mean uh a story no. that came out this week is with the release of Godzilla vs. Kong, a lot of these Snyder people were review bombing the movie, you know, in an attempt to strong handle uh, or strong arm Warner Brothers to be more receptive. That didn't work at all. <laughs> but, you know, there is that. The last thing they should do is call for a boycott of, of WB or Warner Brothers or any of that. Mainly because even if there is a lot of people out there who would like to see the Snyderverse continue, the amount that are willing to go without watching other films that they genuinely want to see to somehow force WB to bring back the Snyderverse, that number is so unbelievably minimal. I guarantee you there's so many people that, yeah, they, they support restoring the Snyderverse, but they're not going to go without seeing Godzilla versus Kong to do it. They're not going to go without seeing Mortal Kombat to do it. They're not going to go without seeing Dune to do it or the new Matrix film. 
Because they want to see those films just as much as they want to see the Snyderverse. Uh-huh. So a, a boycott is genuinely, genuinely stupid because only the extreme diehard minority that will not make a dent in anything are going to be those people that boycott. The release of Snyder Cut movement has been so hyped up. Um, and considering the fact that they end up, they did end up getting what they wanted, we do seem to forget a couple of fundamental realities. You know... They got lucky. Well, there's that, but I mean, um, you know, from an angle of, uh, of hypocrisy, if I might say, on the part of many people who are, you know, covering them, in terms of, you know, what their true size is, and I keep hearing from, at least the the impression seems to be that in the Star Wars fan community, people like you and I, who happen to really love The Last Jedi, seem to be a minority of sorts at least that's the Mm -hmm. that's the perception that is out there and that is being continuously uh repeated although again when we talk about this issue that film was extraordinarily successful the film i would argue did the best from uh reaching to general audiences uh people who are not big star wars fans loved that movie it made i think a what 1.5 billion dollars i believe it was what it did um but it's it's like the same thing where evidently that film was such a big disaster and a bomb and that's of course you know nothing could be further from the truth um now with the snyder fans we do have to keep in mind this um there we have definitive proof that as far as the interest for Zack snyder's dc films it's not really there. Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. And then the version that did make it to theaters in Justice League. Neither of those movies, none of those films touched a billion dollars worldwide. And all of them should have. These were films that featured title characters like the Superman, Batman, and then the Justice League. And we live in a world where none of those films were able to gross a billion dollars worldwide. And I believe we said this at the time in, in in the events of BVS and Justice League, that part of the reason for why that was the case is because the films themselves were not received well by most audiences. Which is why yeah. investing in... Zack Snyder's Snyderverse doesn't really make much financial sense. It doesn't, but I mean, WB has made worse financial decisions. So, and they do need HBO Max content. So, I, I'm not saying never on the Snyderverse. It, it, it could happen. It could something could it emerge could, from it. You know, but this narrative that it's like yes. The masses crave the Snyderverse, you know. It's not it's not true. No. <laughs> it's just not. And it's like that's if you genuinely again, if you're one of those people that genuinely love his films, um it that shouldn't matter. Yeah. You you got the film you never thought you were gonna get, and you clearly love it. Like just just be happy for two seconds before angrily demanding more shit. You'll feel happier in life. 
Right. And then more with uh, Warner Brothers. They keep making a lot of news in, in regards to DC. You know, it happened all last mm-hmm. week. It keeps happening this week. And of course, none of it involves the Snyderverse. But here it is. WB canceled two movies. Ava DuVernay's New Gods and James Wan's The Trench. Uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter... The studio said in a statement that these films did not fit in their current schedule for DC projects. I mean, I I thought both ideas were pretty dumb. (laughs) I, yeah. But then again, most of the ideas that come out as far as like, okay, we we need to set this thing up. The, The ongoing joke has been for the entire time that you and I have been podcasting, from Warner Brothers media relations to the trades is that they announce everything under the sun in terms of the DC universe is under development. And they come up with with some of the strangest ideas, some pretty bad ideas, and yet they they get they end up reported as in like confirmed or in development, you know, and and you know, fast tracked or whatever have you. But the ongoing joke is 90% of those things that are announced end up being canceled, dropped, forgotten, left in the dust, and then they scramble and they come up with something else. So on the surface, this is not the least surprising. In fact, I didn't even remember these things even existed until I saw the headline that, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And now turns out I didn't need to remember it after all because it's never going to happen. So. There you go. But continue with both ideas being dumb. Yeah, the trench, I it's just dumb. <laughs> it's you're making a film off of a location that was there for like two minutes in your Aquaman film. Unnecessary. Like like it's wholly unnecessary. Maybe if you're doing an HBO Max show. But even then, I probably wouldn't green like that. Like, I just... Unnecessary. Um, new Gods. <laughs> These are just... I, I don't... You can't even get your, like, most well-known properties to work. Why are you going off to these weird other properties... With a director, no offense, David DeMariner, I think she's great, but coming off of a bomb with uh, a wrinkle I in time, the fucking name, a wrinkle in time, yeah, and and it's a property that like no one knows. I, the new gods are basically like Eternals. The yeah, it's it's really crazy how much. Marvel and DC copied each other. <laughs> uh, like, it's insane because the Eternals, again, these like alien god beings, and one of the Eternals is Thanos. And you know, he's, uh, I don't know, like the Satan because he fell from grace. Yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't know 100%, but that's basically how it goes. And that's the same with the new gods. The new gods are alien god race, uh, one of them being Darkseid. 
dark side is Thanos. Thanos is dark side. So like so much, so fucking much of Marvel and DC is like an inverse of each other. The Nova core are the Green Lantern core, you know, Avengers, Justice League, the whole shebang. Um, yeah, and of course, a lot of people are saying like, well, there's another win for Marvel, just as Eternals is about to release. They're canceling their, their New Gods film. And that's true. It, it could be because of New Gods. It could be because you already saw versions, I guess, of the kind of some New Gods and um, the, the Snyder Cut. Uh, and, you know, maybe this is just me thinking a little too crazy. Maybe they are going to continue somewhat within the Snyderverse with Thanos. And, you know, the dark maybe side some other... Mean... Oh, sorry, Dark Side, <laughs> same shit. They're going to continue with some of that in the Snyderverse, maybe on HBO Max. If it does happen, it'll probably be on HBO Max. So they're like, well, if we're going to continue with that, we don't want to fuck shit up and we'll just cancel this other project um yeah i don't know it could be it could be all of that combined it could be just one of them or none of them point being i just don't think they were the, the they were the smartest green green light for films and i don't know how serious well it seems like they're pretty serious because david Averney was like yeah i've been writing this and it sucks that it's not gonna happen so she seems she was pretty damn into it um, she's a good director, so it could have been interesting to see the film. But I guess if you're WB, like, I don't know, that's just not a film I would be greenlighting. In, in fairness to Ava DuVernay, I know she got a lot of um, crap over the disaster that was Wrinkle in Time, and a, a disaster it was, in every sense of the word. But everything else that she's made, I have been very taken with. I, I love her film Selma with David Oyelowo, who plays mm -hmm. MLK. I love the documentary film 13th, which I think should be mandatory viewing for every person that calls himself a human um, in the 21st century. And then uh, her Netflix series, miniseries, When They See Us, was I, I, I felt phenomenal. So, I mean, most of her work, I think, is pretty great. Um, it's just that movie... Mm -hmm couldn't work and if i'm going to be honest i feel like i didn't watch it but from what i hear it was hard to grapple with the source material the translation to film wasn't at all easy mm -hmm. and then having somebody like alan horn at disney who's very by the book and like you know how he, he works i can't imagine that being very well which is why i'm kind of like i'm really curious to see how that cruella film turns out because you have all the pieces in motion you know uh, you have the talent when it comes to Emma Stone and Emma Thompson, and you have, you know, writers from The Favorite. You have the director from I Tonya. You also have the composer from, you know, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. Like you have immense Oscar award-winning talent, and I can't wait to see how it turns out because if it ends up being bad, well, there's the Alan Horn touch right there because I can't, I can't imagine how that film can just bomb with that much talent. Um, if I were to make a guess at best, it would be fine. Cause it's Disney at best. Yeah. And, and the subject material is stupid. 
and and limiting <laughs> right because yeah. every everyone says like well you can literally make a good film out of anything right any premise any story and that is true but not when it not if you're limited right right and this was one of the issues long ago we had when it came to the star wars spinoffs when we're talking about solo and it's like can a solo film be technically great yeah but it won't be <laughs> because and and you know what we saw that um they they kicked lord and miller who have never made they've made every film they've made has been utterly fucking excellent so they probably would have made an an excellent solo film but guess what it did not jive with the lucasfilm disney um contractually obliga obligated tone slash star wars tm the way it's supposed to be so they were kicked off that you see, you see that's the thing right like a live we talk about live action lion king because that and i've said it's the worst film i've ever seen in movie theater maybe the worst film ever i really fucking hate that film. yeah it's a real massive piece of shit yep. but you hear what's his name um favreau fuck favreau talk about the film and he's like oh yeah i want it to be like a documentary and stuff like this <laughs> theoretically theoretically if they all cgi lion king film again hyper realistic it was shot like the camera movements were like a documentary and no no voice acting no music but it's sort of this like hyper realistic retelling of that story but like with real animals and stuff like that that would be interesting i like i that that theoretically i'll be like hmm like like i i would be intrigued to see that but disney would never release that film they would never make that film the only way they would make a live action you know disney remake is the way they did and the one they released so so when i say like I, a lot of people like to say, like you said right now, and I know you're saying it because a lot of other people are saying it, and but also because it's true. Like, oh man, look at all the talent they have. Look at look at the cast. Look at the writers. Look at this. Look at that. Um, I it means nothing to me because of who's making it. <laughs> First and foremost, it means nothing because I've just completely lost faith in the the Disney Studios' ability to make a live action film work. Period. Let alone live action yeah. remakes or the live any, action adaptations. Any live action They've film, all been yeah. awful. They've all been terrible. And I'm, I'm at the point like Mulan was the last straw for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Same. But, but I guess my thing is, you Mulan is a timeless tale. You could retell that story. It was awful. That movie was awful. It was, it was fucking awful. It was genuinely god-awful. The writing was... Jesus. But I guess my thing is, because, you know, you have people that want to come in and be like, oh, no, it could be good. Look at this. Look at that. It could. No, no. Just because it can be good. Yes, technically, it has the possibility of being good. But who's releasing it and just the reality of movie making 
the way it would need to be to be good would it just would never be made in, in particular the reality system. of franchise movie making yeah yeah well yeah that's that's 100 percent part of it right like it, it will never be that that's why like it's bringing it back to like dc and stuff i'm really enjoying what dc has been cooking like talking about the suicide squad that's a big bombastic comic book film that is r-rated i don't remember the last time i saw that much money put into an r-rated film deadpool um, i think this budget has to be bigger than deadpool mm. Well, technically speaking, like there were R-rated like, versions, quote unquote, of um, BVS and Suicide Squad, but they weren't no, intended. No, I'm not counting. No, they, I'm not counting that. Just because they go in and have Batman saying he's gonna fucking slit the Joker's throat, and 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 adding digital blood smear. That would have made that film better <laughs> if he just did that. Yeah, I would have rather him just actually slit it right there, all slowly with blood splurting and slow motion 300 style that you know what that's kind of one of the things that disappointed me about <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League not enough it wasn't not enough as, murder not enough blood <laughs> it wasn't as brazen as BVS yeah so even though technically I feel like it made it a better film it never rose for to the point where it was a good film where it crossed over to where I liked it so it was just kind of like in this m middling middle where it's like it wasn't like crazy bonkers not dumb the good as place as BVS. not the bad place but the middle place yeah it's it's this boring middle where i'm like oh, okay whatever i i wanted that that bottom tier though because i know zach can hit it he hit it with bvs <laughs> I wanted, you know, Batman to be stabbing motherfuckers in the eye. If Batman, like, I could see this. Like, Batman taking out a fucking Batarang and, like, just carving a, a pair of demons' face. Like, you fucker. Mm -hmm. Like, just yelling at it, you fucker. And just stabbing it. Like, Michael Myers and then the green blood splurting God. everywhere. God, I, I wish I wish I could have seen that film. That's Zack Snyder film. That's what I wanted. I'm so butthurt that I never got it. Because all the promotional material was like getting me hyped. You literally had Jared Little talking about living in a society dressed as Jesus. I was fucking ready for all the edge. I got none of it. Snyder. All right, what's next? We'll always have BVS. <laughs> and speaking of DC, you know, that kind of went hand in hand with the cancellation of these projects. Uh, they had a big uh, story come out of The Hollywood Reporter um, about what their plans are for their upcoming slate of DC films. WB is planning to build an interconnected universe of DC films for the second time. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter uh, reports that DC is plotting its films and shows to share the same, excuse me, DC it's plotting um, its films and its shows, its TV shows, to share the same universe. 
which includes Black Adam, Shazam 2, and Aquaman 2, some of their upcoming films. The Batman will take place on an alternate Earth known as Earth 2. So going forward, there will be outliers like the Batman and Joker, which exist in different realities. But films like Aquaman 2 and Black Adam will occupy the same reality and will have stories that are interconnected. I don't understand, first and foremost, how this is anything new from what we already assumed they were doing. But I guess they yeah. felt the need to make it official that they're kind of making two universes. One where it can be interconnected and one where it absolutely will not well, be more connected. more than two, right? Well, because in the multiverse, right, with the Flash, it's going to come in. Where does uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker fit in? I don't... Yeah. I don't think he's from Earth, too. No. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is weird to me, right? Because, like... You're going to have an interconnected universe stemming from the Snyderverse. <laughs> That's right. Without the two biggest um, heroes. Because you're not going to have Batman and Superman. You're not going to have Ben Affleck and, and you're not going to have... Uh, Henry Cavill. What's his name? Mr. Mustache. Henry yeah. Cavill, yeah. So, theoretically, the way you're going to connect these films is, like, a Wonder Woman, I assume, 3, when that happens. Aquaman 2. So, the characters you're going to connect are, like, Aquaman, Wonder Woman. Flash. Flash. Shazam. And, I guess, Black Adam, since he's getting his own film. And we're supposed to assume that Ben Affleck's Batman... Henry Cavill's Superman and Ray Fisher's Cyborg just drop off the face of the earth. Yeah, they just kind of cease to exist, I get. And technically, the Snyderverse is part of that continuity because these are the same characters. They reference, I think, Steppenwolf in the Aquaman movie, which I really liked, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, I think both of us really liked it. Everybody forgot that movie happened, but I liked that movie. Aquaman? Yeah. I rewatched it. It's so fun. Isn't it? <laughs> it's it's a really fun film. Um Yeah, I that I think that's really stupid. I think what they should do is use Flashpoint in an effort to clean shit up. So, in other words, bring Batman, like, you keep the same Wonder Woman, keep the same Aquaman, keep the same Flash, but you bring in the, the what's his name's Batman? Pattinson. Pattinson. You bring that Pattinson Batman into the, this universe. And you bring your new black Superman. Right. Fucking premiere him. I, I would say cast him already and premiere him um, at the end of The Flash, right? So him fucking up with time made it so that Cavill is out 
and what's his name is out, but these other universes were merged together, mm-hmm. right? And and you can say like the Black Superman was was part of like Earth thirty two. Uh, this Henry, not Henry, um, Pattinson's Batman. Superman was part of Earth thirty two. Pattinson's Batman was part of like Earth two. Um, fuck it. I mean, I don't like this idea, but if they want to go there, a different cyborg. Um, <laughs> say a new actor of a cyborg is part of Earth twelve or something. Uh, that would cause quite the stir. If, if would it not? They really would. That's why I yeah. feel like they're just going to abandon that character entirely. And we're re- referring to yeah, that character just won't exist. Yeah, we're referring anymore. to the uh, the. It's been years now that uh, the cyborg actor Ray Fisher has been at war with Warner Brothers, in particular, not just with like the people that he evidently was directly accusing, which would be Jeff Johns and Joss Whedon that worked on Justice League. Um, he event- evidently accused them of things that we still don't know. But there was an investigation and nothing seemingly came of it. He's accusing Walter yeah. Hamada, the current head of Warner Brothers, of also things that we're not aware of. And Walter Hamada is not going anywhere. And it would seem that Ray Fisher is out entirely. Yeah, it's a fucking mess. Like, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> the thing to do, honest to God, and it wouldn't be ideal. Mm-hmm. Scrap it and start over. People have been saying that for years now. They don't seem to want to do that. Because here's the thing. Start over If you scrap it and start Mm -hmm. over, there is some legitimate concerns about, well, the whole... Okay. There are some things that worked like Momoa and Gal Gadot Mm -hmm. for the most part. So what happens with them? Bye. (laughs) Sorry. By Felicia. A lot of people like Andrew. Hey, you know what? A lot of people like Andrew Garfield's uh, Spider-Man too. <laughs> but when Marvel got Spider-Man, they're like, "Nope, we're not. We're not fucking around with this. We we need we need our own." I and I honestly, would say I the think... difference in that case, real quick. I would say the difference in that case mm-hmm. is the Amazing Spider-Man two severely underperformed, you know, at its box office expectations. Not just from a critical standpoint, but the film also was so much a disappointment that Sony themselves had to consider even negotiating with Marvel to have a new creative, you know, future ahead of them. The differences with, at least with Wonder Woman and Aquaman is both- They made money. They made a lot of money. Aquaman made a billion dollars. Can you believe that? Yeah. That was a fun film. Aquaman. (laughs) I really enjoyed watching it. Aquaman movie. Get this. James Wan, which I'm happy for him, but like an Aquaman movie- made a billion dollars but what didn't was man of steel batman v superman and justice league can you believe yeah. that wow you know where they fucked up they they got too confident like i think like one they made the wonder woman film before bvs no, after. Well, it was made, like, at the same time. And they they really thought, like, okay, this, this world is... Universe is going to work. But they never asked themselves the tough, hard questions. Like, are these people even willing, in the case of Ben Affleck, to be Batman for the next 20 fucking years or some shit like that? Um, 
So when BVS completely fell apart, they were stuck because they had a Wonder Woman movie that people really liked with a Wonder Woman. And then it's like, fuck. And then they, they had a disastrous, shitty Justice League. But then they had an Aquaman movie that people liked. <laughs> and it's like, what do you do? That's why it's confusing. Because it would be one thing if all of those films bombed and if they were critically, mm-hmm. you know, bombasted, then it would be an easy choice. But because some worked, it makes it a little bit more complicated. Yeah. I it's unfortunate to say this. I really do think they need a cut, cut and run. I think because if if they are determined to do the whole interconnected universe thing, I think they should and again, this will really turn heads, but you gotta make difficult decisions like this. Cancel everything. <laughs> Have it be just start at the only one I think you could probably sneak in there is Shazam because Shazam really didn't have any direct references to the the outer universe the DCEU right. right that one that's kind of the easiest one what about Harley Quinn what about Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn fuck I completely forgot that's right she's they kind of even have the suicide squad that's coming yeah because I would say look um as far as casting is concerned, while I think, you know, Momoa is great in the role, Gal Gadot, I enjoy, but I do give you that her acting leaves a lot to be desired. But if there's one perfect, like real perfect casting choice, like hard to imagine it getting any better than that, it's Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. See, this is what I would do. And they and if they had a smart person on this, they would have coordinated all of this. Is the Flash is the linchpin that changes everything. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Flash, it's like this new universe that he's a part of that has like sort of combined multiple universes into one. So it what you can have is the movies leading up to that pull some crazy shit, right? Mm-hmm. So like. Have Harley Quinn die in the Suicide Squad. And you go like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. But then at the end of The Flash, she's back. Oh. With, with like a different... And she's still... Maybe she's... Maybe she's with a different Joker. You know, maybe... And you can you can make the changes that you want to make. Mm-hmm. Right? You you show the Black Superman. You show Robert Pattinson's Batman. You show Aquaman doing his thing, and, and, and shit's just kind of different to a certain extent. Um, that's the only way I can see them unfucking this, because <laughs> otherwise you're gonna have your interconnected universe, but it's gonna be filled with C-list characters, and then all your big names like Batman and Superman and everything that connects to those characters is going to be in these other non-connected stories. But it's like the whole point of doing interconnected films is the fun of seeing your favorite characters interact with each other. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's dying to be like, oh my God, I can't wait to see Shazam interact with Aquaman. Like, it would be cool, but, like, the biggest thing people want to see is the Justice League. 
you know, fighting in space with the 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 the, the green lanterns and just these big real world things. You know what I mean? <sighs> I I don't know. I I I will say I, I prefer the one-offs. I say stop trying to connect shit. Obviously, you have to connect Black Adam and Shazam because those characters are directly together. Mm-hmm. I think Black Black Adam is the arch enemy of Shazam, so it's you have to right. But let Aquaman do his own thing. Let Wonder Woman do her own thing. Don't question any of it. <laughs> Just do it. I guess we'll see how this turns out, huh? Yeah. 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 I mean, I yeah, that's kind of where we're at to see where they're going to go with next. Uh, moving off DC, um, Pixar. So uh, last week we talked about how Disney had, you know, shuffled its release dates with some of its films. And it was revealed that the Pixar film Luca originally scheduled to have been released in theaters this summer will no longer be released in theaters and go straight to Disney plus with your subscription, but which means no uh, premier access, no paying any additional fee. It'll be on there with your already, you know, with your Disney plus subscription. And evidently that has rubbed some people at Pixar the wrong way. Uh, Pixar employees reportedly demoralized over the Disney Plus releases of Soul and Luca. According to Matthew Belloni, who is a former editorial director for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Soul moves to Disney Plus. I'm sorry, uh, just talked to a Pixar friend who says Luca and Soul moves to Disney Plus have been demoralizing for employees, with one person telling him, forget theaters. We're not even good enough for an upcharge. <laughs> Damn. Um, that's actually that is something I was curious about. Like Raya, I I don't know why. It's it's weird, right? Because Pixar has a huge fucking name. People love Pixar. I would say Pixar is a bigger draw than Disney Animation in this day and age. Um, it's very weird that they, the Pixar gets the release it without any money, but these other films are getting the surcharge. Yeah. I can understand why they're a little depressed. Because the implication is like for the films that are given, like for example, that have been announced with, uh, so we had Mulan, there was Raya and then now with Black Widow. I guess there is this impression out there that if you are uh, going to Disney Plus with a surcharge of Premier Access, that you are good enough, valuable, you're enough. valuable enough, mm-hmm. good enough, to you're a big enough name to charge that money. And if you just go straight to Disney Plus, along with your subscription, there's this impression that oh well, I guess you're there, huh? Which is sad because you know. I think Soul still is the best film they've released on Disney Plus. I think easily. Um I think it will easily win the Oscar for best animated feature. Um and I also think that Luca just 
you know, by merit of being in the Pixar studio, had a very good chance of being the best film Disney releases this year. It often is the case that it's that. And that goes to Disney+. Plus. And a lot of theaters in particular were upset about that because it's a Disney-Pixar film which brings them business. That was the one that was, you know, they understand Black Widow and Black Widow, they're still getting in theaters. But Luca... A lot of theater owners They're are like, getting it all. what the hell, man? Kids love these movies. What are you doing to us here? Kids movies make bank. Like, I don't... It's, there's got to be executives at the top that I don't just don't have that close relationship with the Pixar studios or something that are just kind of treating them as an afterthought right now. Um... Maybe there's bad blood. I don't fucking know. But it is weird. It's like, honestly, if, if they were going to send a film straight to Disney+, Plus, I think it should have been Raya. I understand Mulan, even though Mulan sucked. Um, but you, it's live action and you sunk a lot of money into it. So, okay, surcharge, whatever. And then, obviously, Black Widow. I genuinely think that film can hit a billion. Mm-hmm. Um, easy. So, it's like, okay, that one. But... Uh, soul was always going to win best picture like at the surcharge even you know no matter how you feel about raya raya wasn't wasn't going to like it was it was just gonna be you know the next disney animated film like i if you're gonna release one just straight to disney plus that i think it should have been that one i think it's really weird the decision making if i may make a little bit of a counter offer here a counter proposal not proposal but just to counter a little bit of these notions these impressions that are out there based on the numbers that we've discussed in the show and that we can see out there soul has done a lot more for disney plus than mulan and raya ever did it seemed based on all indications that raya and mulan were blips that kind of went nowhere but with soul soul brought a lot of attention to the streaming service and it was more valuable to them as a film i guess what what with raya i don't understand but i guess what they thought ultimately with the case of soul and luca those films while pricey to make i feel like with this decision and you can also argue that with all of these decisions they just assume that look we're losing money on all these anyway so let's just try and get a little experimental with it with soul and with luca Realistically speaking, an original Pixar film can make anywhere between five hundred and seven hundred million dollars worldwide, which is a lot of money. Um, so I guess they're using those films to drive further interest to Disney Plus. Now, here's one wrinkle: the Academy has not announced yet if 2021 is also going to be if they're also going to consider streaming films for the Oscars for next year, and so. If this stands, and if the Academy says, you know what, we did it for 2020, but we're not doing it for this year, that would mean that Luca would not be eligible for consideration for Best Animated Feature at next year's Academy Awards. And I have to, I have to think that Disney, since they're you know as inside as people can get, I have to think that Disney knows they're going to extend this rule for next year. Otherwise, why would you put that to Disney Plus when you're basically giving way to an Academy Award you would have won? There is that. I can't imagine... Disney practically controls the Academy anyway, so they can just tell them, extend it for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, it airs on their network, ABC. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, but I, I do feel bad in particular for the animators. Um, cause there's some of the, 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 you know, a lot of the jobs that they do are just, you know, among the many thankless jobs in Hollywood and it's their work that's being used with here in a way that it was just not, you know, intended for. And it, and it, now with Luca, it feels like Pixar is the studio that is getting the cold shoulder here from, uh, you know, Papa Disney, whereas like the anime, Disney animation and Disney live action and Marvel have been getting the premier access. And before we move off, I didn't get your thoughts on them announcing that Black Widow will be a premier, pre, premier access and theaters in July. It's a bit scary. Because that means things ain't going to be great by July. Or at the very least, they're not confident that they will. And I have seen in the news that we're getting somewhat of a spike again. Yeah, I, I, so. I read two headlines of a potential fourth surge. But I mean, this is what happens when you lift all restrictions. Not every person is vaccinated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vaccinations are going around and people, and that's going to help, you know, mitigate that surge. But when you lift all restrictions and not everyone's vaccinated, what do you think is going to happen? Not only that, you're you're getting to the point where you're going to get to the point very soon where anyone that wants the vaccine will have gotten it, and then it's just the people that don't want it. <laughs> and that's going to be a good amount of people, um, and it's going to be just kind of this fight of like convincing people to take it. Mm-hmm. And what if they just don't? Like, what do you do? Because it's like, yeah, theoretically, we we can get a hundred percent of adults in this country vaccinated by then, probably, you know, or, or some by the end of the year. But if thirty to forty percent of the population just says no, what what can you do? Well, all I can do. Is make sure those around me are fully vaccinated, which we all will be. Yeah. And continue to take care of ourselves when in public. Um, but that's about it. You know? Yeah. That's about it. And you know, I haven't been giving this too much thought. I've my my the real estate in my mind has uh, you know, given way to other things that are far more pressing at the moment. But COVID is still a concern, obviously, and I think it will be for most of this year. But as far as theaters are concerned, the stuff that's coming out with uh, how Godzilla is doing this week has actually been quite promising in terms because now we have the LA markets and the New York markets are back online. We're at the beginning of April. Black Widow was supposed to come out the 1st of May, basically less than a month from today. I feel like moving it from May to July is pretty a, a great decision because I think by the by the time we hit mid to the end of June, we'll know a lot more to see how it's going to be. But I have to just think that at this point, by the time we get to July, maybe I'm just being too optimistic here. But I'm I'm I, I'm encouraged a little bit by what I'm seeing <laughs> a lot more than um, I, I. The numbers, yeah, are good for Godzilla. For Godzilla, yeah, they're very, very good. And Best that's a movie since... that's still, if you want, you could just watch with an HBO Max subscription. Mm-hmm. That's what I've noticed. 
um you have like it's weird you you'll have the films that on Disney that have both in theaters and at home pay 30 bucks you would think that would drive people to the movie theaters to see these films because they're like fuck that I don't want to pay 30 bucks I'm going to movie theaters but instead <laughs> you have much more people with HBO Max that are seeing it in theaters yeah. even though it's like right there at home no extra charge it's weird isn't it like you saw that with Tom and Jerry too um, Judas, I believe, also fell into that category, I think, a, a little bit. Not as big. Yeah. yeah. For whatever reasons, even though they're they're just free, you can just click it and watch it, those films are doing well on, on HBO Max, but it, they're also being seen a lot in the movie theater relative to, you know, being a pandemic in a pandemic and all, especially when compared to Disney, who is basically forcing you to the movie theaters. If you don't want to pay 30 bucks to see a fucking film. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. That's surprising. It's to surprising. Me. It's weird. It's unexpected. I'd say on the surface, it's a little bit hopeful that, you know, with the fact that there's a day and date option, people still, there's an, at least a sliver of an audience that still seems to prefer viewing it in a theater. So a little bit of a hopeful situation there, however much you want to read into it. But you know what I actually noticed, though, what, uh, what you were saying about the Disney comparison in terms of how their films have done when they're given the option of doing it through Premiere Access with 30 bucks or on the theater? I'd actually argue it's driven people to just ignore the movie outright. Because in both of those yeah. cases, mm -hmm. Mulan and Raya did terrible when it came to both the Premium Access and then also in theaters. It's like, it's yeah. like, it, it, it's like it turns people off. Or either that or people just don't care about them. Or maybe they're just releasing crap films. <laughs> well, you may not have liked Raya, but it mostly got great reviews, I feel. No, it got it got very good reviews. Yeah. But Mulan was regarded as, you know, just no, crap terrible. all around. So the interesting case then becomes with Black Widow. And this is where mm -hmm. I get a little bit nervous here. Um, considering how I feel things are going, you would think that by July comes the premiere access may not be necessary if things go really, really yes. good, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have to wonder, is there a chance they renege on that or they just plow through? I definitely think there's a chance, but again, I'm not as optimistic because I think you're going to get, it's going to get right now we're spiking at the time that you have, um, people that are racing to get vaccinated yeah but eventually you're gonna hit a wall of everyone that wants to get vaccinated no longer is no or everyone that wants to get vaccinated is already vaccinated and all that you're left with is the anti-vaxxers which will which means we're not going to be able to reach like immunity levels i guess or at least not the way we could if everyone just did their fucking job and got vaccinated yeah not that hard guys so it could end up not being as good as it should be as far as the numbers. Um, sure. I I much rather would have been interested to see Black Widow like premiere this month mm. or or ne or next month because I would really interested to see 
Is it just that Disney is releasing under the $30 premium access banner movies that no one gives a fuck about? Or are people just really genuinely turned off by the, the whole idea of premium access? And I think Black Widow would have been the perfect test. In a world where the pandemic didn't happen, it is kind of inconceivable to think that Mulan and Raya wouldn't be financially successful at the box office. You know? Yeah. So the, the idea that people wouldn't care about those movies is a little far-fetched to believe. What is less far-fetched to believe is people being, and I've been saying this, Kyle, Alexis, and David, or David actually is with me, but Kyle and Alexis keep fighting me on this, it seems like, but I keep telling them people are incredibly disgusted with the idea of paying 30 bucks for a movie to watch at home. That's just, they draw a line. What makes it disgusting, right, is that you don't even own it. Yeah. You're you're just paying it it's gonna be online like what three months later or like a month well, look later. Well look at with Raya something with like Raya that. It, so it, it was I think it was uh March, the first two days of March or whatever. So if you wanted to watch Raya, you could pay the thirty dollars or actually it was March fifth where it was available. Pay thirty bucks to see it. But then like not even two weeks later they announced that I think today, as a matter of fact, or tomorrow, which would be April second or April third. If you want, you can rent um, Raya, let's say through Apple, for like $10 less. And then they also announced that by June, if you don't want to pay for Raya, it'll be included with your Disney Plus subscription. Yeah, it just comes off like such a sour deal. Especially since I saw because that I saw that with um, with Mulan, for the people that purchase Mulan through digital download via like um, retailers like Apple or Amazon when they purchased those films for a lesser price tag than Disney Plus <laughs> they actually got bonus features included whereas on Disney Plus there were no bonus features for um, Mulan so there is that <laughs> yeah no it's it's just a bad idea not implemented well at all yeah yeah, it and based on the numbers we've seen, it it just seems to be a tanker, you know. It like it's not it's not working, um, but yeah. Um, we do want to mention um, our condolences to the family of Jessica Walter, um, who passed away last week at the age of eighty. We both know her from, well, from Archer, but also from most recognizable from Arrested Development. Um, she played um, the legendary Lucille Bluth. And what was really heartwarming to see was, uh, you know, on the day that they announced her passing, all of these clips being shared around, some of the best clips from uh, her character on the show. And it's it's the kind of comedy that's... <sighs> it's never not going to be funny. It's just never going to not be funny. Her delivery, um, the dialogue that she uh, was given, I mean, that it, it is some of the best writing I think you'll ever see. Uh, I was very sad to see the, the news, the headline. Um, 
it really was one of those that was kind of devastating. Like, fuck. Uh, one of the good ones, you know? Yeah. <laughs> she was a fucking treasure. She was just genuinely amazing. And to have it happen so suddenly. Yeah, she's 80. She's not young. Um, But she she was always very full of life. She never came off as old. So so the idea that she would die so suddenly, and I still don't know, you know, how she died. Of oh, I, I, I know. Or what uh, happened. I know what happened. Well, it really wasn't, it's actually pretty, one of those things that, oh, it just happened. But in terms of her cause of death, um, I feel like she was actually blessed with the best cause of death. She just passed away in her sleep. Really? Yeah. Just... That's so strange. I guess it does happen sometimes. Yeah. But um But I mean that's yeah, strange to I me. I would feel like that's the the mo the the least painless way to die. Yeah. So in that uh, Or the least Yeah to yeah, just yeah. slip away right. while sleeping. Um not many of us get that luxury. No. Um because you also hear some of these stories because we didn't discuss it, but earlier in the year when when Christopher Plummer passed away, um, it ended up being that it was caused by a fall he had a few days early. He hit his head real bad, from what oh, I read. Yeah, it was wow. really sad. You know, he was a uh, ninety, I believe, right, ninety one, ninety around there. Yeah. So, which is like, man, like you think, like you know, we're like twenty twenty five right now. The idea that one day, like when we're in our 80s, 90s, if we live that long and a fall is what does us in is kind of like depressing. Um, I don't know if my point of view is very different. I don't know if it's um, optimistic or sad, but in my mind, like if if you hit 80, like you did it. Hey, yeah. You... You lived a full life. That's true. Like, anything that happens after that, like, I... <laughs> we had an earlier legend to say, this year, yeah. I believe, Cicely Tyson. She was working at, uh, until the last day of her life. She was 96. Yeah. Betty like, White uh, is 99. <laughs> she's alive. That's crazy. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't. This year, I'm sorry. We talked about this mm -hmm. a few weeks ago at the uh, Golden Globes. They gave an award to Norman Lear, still working, yes. 98. Ridiculous. Oh my gosh, Fountain of Youth, people. <laughs> no, I, my thing is like, once you hit 80 and you die, I, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm not sad, but it's just like, you did it. It's like not as sad length, as they would like, as it would be if they died mm -hmm. much younger. If anything, I'm kind of envious. Like you got to live to your late eighties. Not many people can say that. Like that's that's really it's really cool. And again, I don't know if that's a weird way to look at it, but I think it's a it's a nice way. Yeah, a lot of the clips that were being shared uh, just reminded me, uh, they were all cracking me up, but you know, the one that, that, that really, really got me um, 
And it made so much sense too, where where she's at the hospital and she tells Michael, um, played by Jason Bateman, "If you need me, I'll be at the hospital bar." And he's like, "There are no, there is no hospital bar, uh, mother." And he's like, and, and then she responds with, "Well, this is why people hate hospitals." <laughs> and then she laughs and walks away. And I think what's funny about that is that's kind of true. Like the idea, the concept of a hospital bar, I feel would be kind of real economical. Yeah, I would say, you know. <laughs> You definitely make bank. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I told this to Kyle. It's it's also like, why aren't there more movie theaters at airports? That, that just... That is crazy to me. That doesn't exist. Because there's so many people where it's like, fuck, my flight got canceled. I can't get one till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I don't have a hotel. I guess I'm just going to sleep in the airport for tonight. What you could do to pass the time is like, hey, let's go go watch a couple movies. Like, let's. That sounds like, like fun <laughs> to me. Yeah, I'm stuck at the airport. I don't board for another, you know, f- four to five hours. Let's go check out a movie. Like, I don't know. I feel like it. It would. It's a perfect marriage of the two. Um, why it doesn't exist, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure I ever mentioned it, but I was also saddened to hear. Um earlier in the year talking about passings larry king i believe they said it was some some complications due to COVID. i think um and like larry king has always been like an icon to me like he just i would watch uh his show and it was on cnn larry king live um and some of the interviews that he uh conducted were i feel among the best i've ever seen and so there is that but also late 80s long life long life but a lot of legends already, you know, dropping like flies this year. So there is that. Um, Steven Yun is having a moment. You know, he just was uh, nominated for Best Actor for Minari at the Academy Awards. He's having a hit with Invincible. And he has now been cast to star. This is important. To star in Jordan Peele's next horror film. As a reminder... One percent of all leading roles in Hollywood belong to Asians. This is a big deal for Stephen Young. You know what? I think that very much influenced Jordan Peele's choice of of Yun. I really do because Jordan Peele has talked about like, yeah, I'm never gonna cast white people. <laughs> to lead my films because i don't have to right (laughs) you know you know i i all my life i that's what i saw and i and i never saw people like me now i'm gonna i'm in a position where i can do the casting and uh i yeah (laughs) you're not gonna see white leads for me because that it's just not something i'm gonna do um but to deliberately choose an asian lead and not a black lead, an Asian lead. Yeah, I think that's pretty deliberate. And probably to do with our current times. He's come a long way, um, uh, Mr. Yun, from the days of The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. He's always been great, though. Yeah. He's one of those where it's like, you knew, if given the opportunity, he can break through. Uh, and I'm really glad he is. Yeah. Cause he's 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 a, he's a genuinely phenomenal actor. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I'm really excited. And I again, I love Jordan Jordan Peele as a director. Uh, I want to rewatch Us. I haven't seen Us in a while. And I was just thinking about the other day. I was like, I really want to rewatch it. Um, no, he's... I'm really excited. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> the biggest name in movies that were... They at least feel that they are. The Oscars um, <laughs> unveiled their nominations. And I'm not going to... I never really list all of them. But I think, at least for me, the most important categories um, are Best Picture and Best Director. Um, and then I have a whole bunch of stats I want to list off in terms of like, you know, firsts and stuff like that. So um, here are the nominees for Best Picture. Uh, the Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And the nominees for Best Director include Thomas Vitterberg from Another Round, David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Uh, I have to say, this may be... The longest, it's been a while since I've been really happy with the, with the list of nominees. And there are some here that I feel like don't, really don't, don't belong on there, but well, actually just one. I don't think the Trial of the Chicago 7 should be on this list. <laughs> but I mean, it's exactly what they love, right? So it's to be expected yeah, that it's on it's this. It's going to get on the list, yeah. But as far as that's concerned, I think this is a pretty impressive crop of nominees. And it's been a while since I've, I've said that because usually you and I are kind of... Um, there are a couple of choices they make that are very them, <laughs> I guess you could say. What do you think of these nominees? Um, Chloe Zhao will win Best Director. And if the Academy is on its game, Nomadland will win. If it's not, uh, probably something like Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah. And yeah, overall, I thought they're all very good picks. Very, very good. I'm surprised uh, Sound of Metal got in there. But yeah, good for that film. I agree with you in terms of uh, how this is going to shake, you know, go down, right? I, I, I think that Nomadland, Far and Away, is the front runner for best picture. Um, If Minari is in fact the the winner at the Screen Actors Guild Awards that could set off a chain reaction of events where that that film could surge could um but i think it's either going to be Nomadland or Minari but most likely it'll be Nomadland um and then for director it's going to be Chloe Zhao all the way and you know what 100% good for her and I think she fucking deserves it. And if you look at... I, is this, yeah. I really wish I could grow a mustache like this. Holy shit. If you can't see, because this is an audio uh, format, Mr. Martinez is using his extended hair to form a twisty villain mustache. Because apparently that's more important than listening to what I'm saying. 
Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then as far as like, the best director is concerned, you know, this is easily the most diverse group of um, nominees I can ever, uh, in recent memory. We have two directors of Asian descent, Lee Isaac Chun and Chloe Zhao, and we have two women with Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell. Um, in fact, uh, here's our, the list of firsts. So this is the first time two Asian actors are nominated for Best Actor at the same time. Stephen Yun and Riz Ahmed. Um, this is the first time that two black women nominated for Best Actress together in 50 years. Really? Yeah. Okay, in 50 in the years, same still, year, holy shit. In the same year, we had two black women nominated for Best uh, Actress, which was Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Andrew Day for uh, Billie Holiday. Stephen Yun is the first Asian American nominated for a leading role in uh, Best Actor. Ever? Yes. Holy shit. Aren't these mind-blowing yeah, that's stats? really bad. Chloe Zhao is the first woman of Asian descent to be nominated for Best Director. In the first time in 93 years of the Academy Awards, more than one woman has been nominated in the Best Director category. <laughs> Which is Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell, but yeah. That's pretty fucking terrible. Uh-huh. Uh, Viola Davis is now the most nominated uh, black actress ever. And the only black woman with two Best Actress nominations. Lakeith Stanfield, uh, this is a weird thing. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah, despite the fact that the studio uh, campaigned for him in lead. So it's this weird switcher where like, the studio campaigned for him to be in lead, and the Academy was like, we'll put you in supporting instead. Which they already had um, Daniel Kaluuya in for supporting. So both Kaluuya and, and They're Stanfield. both the supporting. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make fucking sense. So they're there. Um, Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim nominated for lead actor Oscar. Uh, I believe Mahershala Ali was one of the recent uh, Muslim actors to win, but that was for Best Supporting Actor, I believe, with Moonlight. Okay, I was going to say, mm -hmm. like, he, um, he's Muslim. Right, supporting, but not for lead. Um, okay. It's been over 13 years since a woman... Wow, this is actually pretty... <laughs> it's been over 13 years since a woman has won for writing at the Academy Awards. If Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell both win for the night in terms of screenplay, it would be the first time um, women win adapted and original screenplay in the same year. Which is likely to happen. You think... I I I know that. Um, yeah, I think so. I think uh, Nomadland. Well, you know what? I have to look at it again. But I think Nomadland and Promising Young Woman are likely winners for their respective screenplay categories. Ones in what writing is there in Nomadland? I don't know. To be honest with you, but <laughs> it'll win Best Picture. It'll win Best Director. I think so. I think so. And well. that usually means it'll win one more. And mm. I don't think it'll be McDormand. I think it'll probably be this. So, 
I don't. We'll see. I'm not. I'm not locking that down. I'm just. This is. I'm going off on what I heard, but this is a couple weeks old now, so things could have changed. But I very much would love to see Emerald Fennell win for uh, this because she's not going to win for directing, and I uh, don't think it'll win much elsewhere. Of the movies nominated in in Best Picture, I I my favorites are well. My favorite is Promising Young Woman, and I also especially uh enjoyed the father uh and judas and, and nomadland um and i really need to see minari but very good films ditto yeah this is hilarious glenn close is now the most nominated actor in history with eight without having won a single one <sighs> poor glenn close <laughs> Oh, and man. people were thinking that it was bad for Leo. Uh, this is kind of worse. Yeah, that shows you the sexism. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I told you that um, that's that uh, uh, that story that uh, some Academy members didn't vote for Glenn Close last time around because she was in a movie called The Wife, and the idea of watching a movie called The Wife turned them off. They didn't watch it. Every time I hear a quote or read a quote. <laughs> from an academy voter i just it makes me question the idea of like all of it <laughs> you know like life like is this is this why we're here just to suffer you know blah 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 they're fucking idiots they really are well we know how hilarious it was the whole la la land moonline thing right Mm-hmm. Did we ever get into why it happened that way? Not the not the snafu, but why it was that moonlight won over La La Land. Uh, Oscar so white. Well, no, not. I guess it could be that way, but no. There, yes, there was a a contingent of people who felt like Moonlight was a superior film, and I believe some people on this panel feel that way. And sure, that's all. That's all good. Um, <laughs> but actually, based on what I hear. The Academy was annoyed that La La Land was winning everything. And so, and so um, part of the reason why Moonlight was surging was because they were tired of La La Land winning everything. And there was such a backlash to that. Yes, that's true. That is 100% true. That's stupid. <laughs> The, uh, these people are morons. I fucking hate them. They. That's why I say that these. The Oscars is pointless. All these things are pointless. Yeah. But at the very least, if the judges were filled with people that genuinely gave a shit, there would feel like there's some merit to the awards. But did every you... time an, an Academy Voter opens yeah. their mouth, it's just mush. Well, I, like last year, I remember when they were talking about um, uh, who they were considering for best actor, and they came to Jonathan, um, Jonathan, um, God, am I blinking on the name? Um, he plays Pope Francis in, in The Two Popes. Price. Jonathan is the first part. Jonathan yes, Price. Price. He was nominated for best actor. And this one Academy voter literally said... I thought he was great in the movie, but the idea of voting for the Pope really disgusts me. 
What does that even mean? <laughs> right? Wait, so if someone gave like an incredible performance as like, I don't know, Hitler? Yes. Would you be like, I don't feel like voting for Hitler, so... Uh, okay. That's weird. Because I'm sure people have won Academy Awards for being, you know, playing characters that are murders, murderers yeah. and rapists and like warlords well, Joaquin and Phoenix shit like that. won an Academy Award for playing the Joker just last year. So Joker did kill people. Yeah. It's a little fucking weird. It is. <laughs> there was even some talk uh, or speculation that one of the reasons why Dalroy Lindo, who gave a great performance in Defy of Bloods, uh, Spike Lee's last film. One of the reasons for why people feel he wasn't nominated anywhere was because he was playing a Trump supporter. And the idea of nominating a Trump supporter is just, it is too beyond the pale. That's stupid. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I hate the Academy. Uh, I'm not finished with the uh, Glenn. Glenn Close is only the third actor in history to be nominated for an Oscar and a Razzie for the same performance. Okay. So she, for, for uh, her performance in Hillbillyology, she, at the moment she's nominated for an Academy Award and a Razzie. I, well, I think the Razzie stems less from her performance and more from what a massive piece of shit the film as a whole is. Have you seen it? No. Okay. But, but I hear that. I know what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's enough for me to go, no. <laughs> it feels like a- No, 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 never. It feels like a a 10,000 ti times worse version of Green Book. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Green Book with just cutting out the black people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's more of like- I think someone said, like, there's a part of the movie where they have a scene where it's, like, they do an unironic, like, I don't know if someone says redneck, and they're like, that's our word or some oh shit. Oh, my like, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, no. it's It's really dumb. It just feels like. Every lie you were told about Trump supporters rolled into one. What happened to Ron Howard, man? He got old. Okay. Yeah, that seems to be I'm, the case. You see a lot of directors, they do lose it. Yeah. Tim Burton. They lose... I can name so many directors who... You talk about their stuff from maybe a decade ago, it was great, now it's not. And it's just, I mean, I get it, right? Yeah. Like directing, it's very intensive, creative. If you get older, I understand losing those juices. So, I, but you look at the greatest directors, they have like, at best, like a decade run of films i feel like they only release so many good films and before they just lose it one of the few that it's like wow you're still doing great 
is um Scorsese. Yeah. Like Quentin Tarantino says he wants to get out of the game soon. Ten films. He's like and I think he's he only has one film left. He's like, once I do my ten films, I'm out. And I mean, it's probably for the best. I, I do feel like he would probably hit a hit a snag at, at some point right. in his career. So yeah. Some would say James Cameron would be in that name and that list of names. It's hard to tell because he releases a film every decade? fifteen years every- or so. <laughs> Over a decade. Yeah. So it's like I, I don't fucking know. I don't even know. Right? I guess we'll see what, what's up with his Avatar quadrilogy and what's going on with that. I thought it was now five movies. Four sequels. Four sequels, five movies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple more things. Yeon Yu Jung uh, from Minari is now the first Korean actress nominated for acting. And Chadwick Boseman is now the eighth person nominated uh, posthumously. And he will win, I believe. And he will win. Yeah, I think he'll be the fourth person to win. Third or fourth uh, to win posthumously. Posthumously. Right. Posthumously. Um, okay, now uh, moving on to this thing about James Cameron. I read this thing and I thought it was hysterical. Um, and I just wanted to share this um, in terms of... Wasn't it? Yeah, it was... <laughs> it was look, James Cameron never disappoints in terms of his commentary on things. It's always something um, worth talking about. So, James Cameron doesn't seemingly get why Avatar was so successful, um, which is the point of all of this. So, let me read um, what uh, what uh, the quotes that were released this week for the interview, I think. He says... When I sat down to write the sequels, I knew there were going to be three at the time and eventually turned into four. I put together a group of writers and said, I don't want to hear anybody's new ideas or anyone's pitches until we have spent some time figuring out what worked on the first film, what connected and why it worked. They kept wanting to talk about the new stories. I said, we aren't doing that yet. Eventually, I had to threaten to fire them all because... They were doing what writers do, which is to try and create new stories. <laughs> I said, we need to understand what the connection was and protect it. Protect that ember and that flame. Cameron rewatched the first movie and mapped out a three-tier structure to explain the originals. <laughs> this is so, wow. <laughs> Only James Cameron would, 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 would go on an investigative journey to try and understand why the film he made was successful. <laughs> Which, to be fair, it's the question everyone in the world has, try- has been trying to figure out for like all time at this point. Like how? Which we'll get to oh, that. I think it's obvious. We'll, though. we'll get but to yeah, that. Go ahead with this tears. We'll get. My God, uh, for the original's unprecedented success, the first tier was the surface storyline, which is just the plot, and the second tier was thematic, the spiritualism, the themes of capitalism, imperialism, colonialism, human rights abuses, and nature deficit disorder. But it was the third tier that proved most essential. There was a tertiary level as well, and we were all in unison about it. But there was a level that was a dreamlike, that was dreamlike, that you could not express in a sentence, Cameron said. It didn't have any isms to it. It was a dreamlike sense of a yearning to be there, to be in that space, to be in a place that is safe and where you want it to be. Whether that was flying, 
that sense of freedom and exhilaration, or whether it's being in the forest where you can smell the earth, it was a sensory thing that communicated on such a deep level. That was the spirituality of the first film. I told you this is some some interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, I I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the story sucked. It was, or it didn't even suck. It was just okay, right? The characters were fine. The story was serviceable. Characters were serviceable. The thing that sold the film was its next level technology breaking um cgi and and realism and you know this sort of world of pandora that really sold the film and made people go crazy so he's not wrong on that level um but i would just recommend to him sure keep that ember alive but maybe work on those first two tiers (laughs) Yeah, um, it's just an interesting thing because Avatar, you know, it came out two thousand nine, but um, it's kind of it. It technically is the biggest film of all time, and yet you'd be hard pressed to find some diehard fans of the movie. No one's an Avatar diehard, and the Avatar diehards that exist, it's not for that Avatar. Um, no one knows the languages, the, the, the people, the only thing people know is like Navi, right? Yeah. They know the word Navi and they know it's the big blue people. And then that's kind of it. But like, no one knows the character's name. No one really connected with the characters on a personal level or like anything other than that. And if you really want to... The film was a bit of a one-trick pony. Yeah. And it got lucky. You famously called you know, it Pocahontas it was, in Space. That's that's all it was. That's all it is. But because it was directed by James Cameron, who's a very good director, it worked. It was it, it worked well enough. And the visuals... It, it, to me, that immersive world and the, the incredible um, uh mind-bending cgi and and uh breakthroughs in technology as far as the visuals are what really sold the film and and the world around it that's what sold the film and that's what people really got lost into uh and i think that's great that he understands that because that yeah like continue that but i really hope he works on the characters because if you can keep that you know that sense of wonder that I do think helped propel Avatar, but surround it with genuinely complex and interesting characters and memorable moments. That's that's truly next level, right? I'll be honest. So. I'm having a hard time remembering an image from that film that, you know... That I can... The ponytail sex? Besides that, well, oh... No. Oh God, you had a okay. Mm. Which you know what makes it really weird? Like that's sort of like sex for them, but then like they connect their hair to their horse as well when they're riding their horse. So are they like no. having sex with their horse while they're okay? If you're shaking your head, I assume you don't want to get into this. 
I, 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 I have nothing to offer in the conversation, so we'll move on. Um, that's uh, the small news for the week, and then here's some pretty massive news. Um, kind of came out of left field, but um, it evidently has been in the makings for some time. From Variety, here's the headline. Netflix buys Knives Out sequels for $450 million. Here's... God. Damn. Here's the exclusive uh, story from Deadline. Netflix is closing in on a deal to make two sequels. Ex- excuse me. Um, Netflix is closing in on a deal to make two sequels to the 2019 hit Who Done It Knives Out, which Ryan Johnson will direct with Daniel Craig reprising his role as super sleuth Benoit Blanc. Johnson, who wrote the original, has written the sequels. And is producing with partner Ram Ram uh, Bergman. Sources said the deal will be north of four hundred million dollars, making it one of the biggest streamer movie deals in history. <laughs> that is huge. Four hundred and fifty. I. How do you feel about that? I mean, I just I don't know him. Um, obviously, I don't know any of these people I talk about on this show, but um, I really do. Um, cherish Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker and you know through his films uh, and then also in the commentary of his films and the uh, documentaries he makes for the movies that he makes um, his sensibilities as a storyteller um, I wish everyone would have and he seems to really pin on, pin in on things that stories require that some people have just seemingly forgotten about. There's an art to it. And he just knows it and he does it in each and every one of his movies. On top of the fact that I felt and still feel very um, jaded about how uh, people have treated his Star Wars movie. And have inaccurately, by some in the press, painted <laughs> him and that movie as a failure. Um, which again, as we said earlier, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, Hey, I am still in mourning of the fact that, uh, we haven't gotten the star Wars trilogy that Ryan Johnson was supposed to do, but never fear yet, yet, but never fear. We are getting a Ryan Johnson trilogy, (laughs) but Again, like it's this, and I the reason I enjoy it, seeing his success is because there was this massive narrative created about him as a filmmaker by those that did not like The Last Jedi that he was just terrible, yeah, like, like crap filmmaker, crap writer. You know, he can't do anything to like, like for real. Like, like, it's not just like, I don't like this film. 
Um, and I understand. It's one thing to not like a film, but it's another to take this one film and extrapolate it to someone's entire career. Um, if I say someone's like a crap filmmaker, it's usually because I can look at the entirety of their filmography and go like, not good, not good, crap, kind of okay. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this person at all. But he had had, you know, massive hit of film after film after film. And then he made this film and it's like, okay, you don't like it. But that I think it's very quick to write him off. And, and I think it clearly didn't come from a genuine place. And it was more of just like anger over how dare you make The Last Jedi the film that it was. And then, of course, it, it like all things on the Internet tend to be, it got kind of toxic and really disgusting. And a lot of people that I genuinely think are, are bad people kind of rose to prominence writing on that hatred. And, you know, we've talked about this situation so much. And it's, it's just such bullshit. So the fact that he can come back, he made an excellent film. It made a fuck ton of money. Can I say how much it made? Reviewed. So the, the first film cost, the first Knives Out movie cost $40 million to make. And it turned in a global gross of 311 million worldwide. An original film. That's what we call a profit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that is a hell of a fucking profit for an original murder mystery film. <laughs> uh so you could tell the pun intended the knives were out for Ryan Johnson and anything he did following the Last Jedi. So the fact that he's found such wonderful success, yeah, it, it does. I does put a smile on my face. And in some way, we may have to credit those awful people that went after him for the Last Jedi because I think in interviews he has spoken to the fact that uh, those um, interactions partly inspired him to make. Uh, Knives Out, or at least has expressed some of that in the movie itself, which then in and of itself became a franchise, an original film that was so successful with audiences, general audiences at the box office even, that it generated a trilogy. I mean, and, and that, that in and of itself is big, but that Netflix seized on this and ordered two sequels for $450 million. And in the last year, Ryan wrote two movies. <laughs> I'm sure he had time. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I assume the $450 million isn't the budget. It's the money it's how much they spent to buy these movies basically because they yes. i believe there was a bidding war of sorts uh, uh between amazon apple and netflix to acquire this uh lucrative deal and netflix beat them out mm -hmm. <laughs> no i think it's great i love it and of course daniel craig i mean the happenstance of this is also just like again 
Daniel Craig wouldn't have been in this movie if it weren't for the fact that the James Bond movie he was on continuously Got kept postponed. like it kept collapsing. You know, directors, I think a director was switched in and out and then it was postponed. The filming of it was postponed. So he had nothing on and he had just enough time to make this movie. And the fact that he himself specifically will be back for both of them. Um, oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Although I will say I'm not looking forward to Kyle's reaction to the movie. So maybe I can wait. Because um, all we need well, to... You won't have to... You won't have to sit next to him oh, in the theater. Maybe that's one, that's <laughs> you one positive it. to it. Um, but you know, you alluded to something I do lament, though, is you know this was such a hit, um, in large part because of uh, its uh, success in theaters. Also, watching it with people was hilarious as well. I do lament the fact that that's not going to be something we're going to be able to experience with these sequels i much more lament the fact that blu-rays for these sequels will be next to impossible to acquire and as somebody who loves knives out i believe knives out was my second favorite movie of 2019 not your first it was my second favorite movie of 2019 it is um a little bit depressing on that level but all around it is what it is this is a phenomenal story i love it i think it's great mm -hmm. i'm very happy like i said the the success makes me happy so about the star wars movies <laughs> uh well i guess that's not happening anytime soon is it no but let's be real, the making those films, like, I don't know, like, I assume he he is writing or wrote both sequels back to back. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, he could film it back to back. He could. He could. They're, uh, um, they're going to start filming June 28th in Greece. And they haven't cast it yet. They're casting right now. And they're going to start that's filming That's what I June. mean. Yeah. Like, like, it's the, the turnaround for, for making these films is insanely quick like i like like you said like the james no, not james bond um what's his name daniel craig had a small amount of time before he had to go back to james bond just a few weeks and he took that opportunity to do this film and it that's the reason we have it so realistically he'll probably have shot and finished both these films before another Star Wars film is released in theaters. And for reference point, Ryan Johnson, I believe he said in his documentary uh, for uh, the director of the Jedi, he spent four years making the last Jedi. Yeah. With these big movies, it's, it's a huge, huge investment from the point that you pitch or or are hired to the film f being finished and coming out huge huge investments yeah well we'll look forward to some stuff in the future 
Uh, last thing before we get to the review, Godzilla vs. Kong opened with a two-day total of $16.7 million to the biggest box office opening of the COVID era. Um, current projections have it making as much as $50 million over a five-day opening, which is double the $25 million industry consensus expected. Um, this movie is... Seemingly the first one to actually um, generate enough attention that people are actually going to go into the movies to see this, Peter. How about that? I wonder why. <laughs> Since we're here, let's go ahead and get into our review of Godzilla vs. Kong. Mr. Martinez, can you please queue up the Letterboxd-sponsored... Um, I believe uh, bio or summary or synopsis. Yes. Synopsis is the right word um, for Godzilla versus Kong. Remember, people out there, to use Letterboxd for all your social media movie needs. Remember the slogan Letterboxd? If it's here, it's a movie. All right, let's get going. Godzilla versus Kong, directed by Adam Wingard. One will fall in a time when monsters walk the earth humanity's fight for its future sets godzilla and kong on a collision course that will see the two most powerful forces of nature on the planet collide in a spectacular battle for the ages starring godzilla and kong How'd you feel about it? By the way, oh, just to let everyone know, we had a wonderful screening uh, outdoor. Used a projector, big, uh, big sound system. It was a hell of a time. Yes. So, Mr. Alexis J. Soto, you hate these films. They're not so my how cup. How did you of, feel about this? They're one? not my cup of tea. No. Um, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. They're well. I mean, I think hating. Rec- I don't hate them. Like, if I hated <laughs> watching them, why would I participate in the screening of it? Um. In fact, I I really kind of want to see this in theaters. I really kind of want to <laughs> see this in theaters. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I. It's made for it. I I feel like like. I'll just say off top, I'm not really a big fan of the movie, but I'm not really a big fan of these movies. So, I mean, that's kind of how they are for me. But I still would pay money to see this again, just to see those fights on the big screen. Um, so there's that. So, like, say the word, Peter, and I'm there. I'm there. We'll go see it again. Um <laughs> No, look, kaiju films are what they are, and seemingly, for reasons I can't really put eloquently, they never have really spoken to me. Um, I understand that, though. They're very niche and very dumb. Right. The drawl is big, dumb monsters punching each other. Right. Right? And, and I've like I've always said, either you get it or you don't. If you get it, awesome. And if you don't... Yeah, it may. Yeah, it's all. There is this whole cinematic history with Godzilla and with Kong and these monster uh, movies, this mythology of sorts that um, I'm completely oblivious to. So I don't have that connection to it at all or that appreciation. Peter will definitely bring up 
uh, will bring that to this conversation. Um, and the only films that I've seen um, that are like this, well, the ones that are connected to it primarily are um, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I think that's it. I I don't think I saw Kong Skull Island. I don't believe I don't mm. believe I saw the 2015 Godzilla. Um, I saw the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. It was what it was, what it was. Um, I have no memory of the King Kong from 2005, the Peter Jackson film. Although I hear it's great, it's amazing. I think I did see it, but as you can imagine, it made no impact, so I've forgotten it even existed. Um, <laughs> what? It it no I I'm sure I saw oh. it but I just didn't care about a monkey, um beating people up. How can you not care about a I monkey? I don't know. It just I, I I'm telling you I can't oh really pinpoint it. It's just what it is. Um. So, yeah, like my expectations for these kind of movies are just generally very low. Um, King of the Monsters, I enjoyed. I have not thought about it at all since I saw since I watched it. So, but I enjoyed it for what it was. I will say, King of the Monsters had some, you know, on 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 some level, I do feel like the movies, in particular, King of the Monsters, and then this one. Um, although I think it maybe that's changing now with this film, but with King of the Monsters, what I don't think was appreciated enough about that movie was the special effects. I mean, those were beautiful. You know, I, I, I spoke at length about how that trailer for that movie really caught my imagination. The imagery was just perfection. Striking. It was striking, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, that's a better word for it. Um, And I enjoyed it. It was fun. And then I never thought about it ever again. Um, <laughs> And then when this movie was coming up, Again, everybody was talking about it, and I'm like, okay, great. All right. It's not something I'll ever, ever, ever get excited for. Ever. Um, that that being said, I, I wasn't opposed to watching it. I sat through it. Um, and in I think I enjoyed most of this movie. Any time that Godzilla and King Kong were on the screen... I enjoyed it. The stuff with everything else, it wasn't, I film. I've seen worse. It was, I didn't feel it was awful. Although maybe you could say in some places. The human stuff is something that people have complained about in every review. When I saw King of the Monsters, that didn't really bug me. It didn't really bother me. Um, as it did everybody. Like, I think that the thing that people keep harping on with all of these films is that why are there humans in it? And no one seems to mention. Because plot and how are you going to move that stuff forward? That's how you may, That's how you have a movie. Yeah, like that. that, that and you, yeah. yeah. You can't have the budget to have them fight for two, two hours. Yeah, exactly. Straight. So that, that I've always found that to be a pretty silly, like... Um, talking point against these films when you just think about it for more than a couple of seconds um that being said the stuff with every with the actors wasn't the most interesting i thought that it was much more it was better handled i think in king of the monsters than it was with godzilla versus kong uh, as far as the, I agree. the human characters are concerned um 
but I enjoyed it. I, I, my, my jaw dropped several times, uh, with the destruction that they created, just watching those two creatures, um, beat the crap out of each other. I mean, if that's what you're here for, I feel it delivers and then some, you know, if you're a Kaiju fan, if you're a Godzilla fan, if you're a King Kong fan, I don't know how you cannot be happy with this. So overall, I, I liked it. Yeah, um, starting with the human characters, I, I agree that I think King of the Monsters, and it's funny because I think a lot of people thought this one did it better. I actually think King of the Monsters did it better. Yeah. Because this one, I feel like if they weren't going to focus on the human characters so much, they should have cut down on the amount of human characters. Because it feels like they started out with a large cast because they felt they were going to have a sprawling story with multiple storylines. And then they cut those storylines to the bone, but kept the sprawling cast. So it's it's just either you have a short, to the point, human story with few human characters. and Or you just decide, again, to have a two and a half hour epic with, with all those large, large characters. The way they did it, I, I think, didn't work. Because the characters that did work were were the people that traveled with Kong, I think with like the little girl, right, and then like the mother type character, and then one of the scars guards. That was that worked. Yeah. Also because they were, they were part of what was going on. Right. right? They were part of the action. Mm-hmm. So that's why it worked. There was a certain investment with them. They they were part of everything. But then you have everything with Millie Bobby Brown and those characters, and they're not part of the film, not really, right? Like, because you have the action going on with Godzilla and Kong and, and and you know the Hollow Earth and and all this action and pushing the story, and that's where you have those human characters. And then you get to these human characters, and they're not. You, know, it's like a whole other film. They're off doing other shit that doesn't necessarily connect. And not only that, the villains, again, so you can tell so much of this was just cut to the bone where they had so much more written. The the one guy that's piloting Mechagodzilla, that's Sirizawa's son. Why? I assume there was actually a pretty big, big storyline for him previously and it was just cut down to nothing and if i'm if i if i'm correct didn't zirozawa sacrifice himself in the last film in a big scene yes. yeah i again i i like to me i feel like i'm the only one that likes the big sprawling human epic stuff in these kaiju films mm. like everyone attacks um uh peter jackson's king kong for like because the first it's like three hour film and the first hour or so is just all human stuff like they don't even get to the island until like over an hour in and i'm like i love that stuff i love it a lot yeah (laughs) here's the thing godzilla and king kong are they really they're not really characters they can't speak how how are they going to hold a film together where they're not just fighting the entire time? Yeah. That's why you need 
the human element in there to make、mm-hmm. a film out of it. Otherwise, what you're left with isn't a movie; it's a WWE match. It's a cutscene. <laughs> I don't know how you can get around humans without having Godzilla and King Kong talk. I also am not aware if there have been versions of that ever happening. So, and the cartoons. <laughs> But no, I, I'm I'm one of the few people that actually likes the human stuff and and, and the kaiju. I, I I liked it and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I somewhat liked it with some characters and and Kong Skull Island, and I actually think there was interesting characters here. Where if you. Elaborated on them, I would be, I would enjoy it. Like the Sirizawa's son, I that there's probably an interesting story there that that I would like to know about. You know what I mean?、Um, uh, I would probably cut Millie Bobby Brown's stuff entirely. Not that that stuff is bad, but it's just. I just feel it. It, it kind of weighs the movie down. It just I felt would cut that whole yeah.、So、it felt useless for the most part, including、mm-hmm. even having like Kyle Chandler back in here. I mean, they had the movie last time. They didn't really need to be here. I guess in theory, they were in here for I guess some kind of connective tissue. And I think someone mentioned it on one review that I that I watched that it felt as if they needed Millie Bobby Brown around to just have someone defend Godzilla. For what happened? Yeah, th- that's why because they wanted two teams. They wanted hum- a human、uh, Kong team and a human Godzilla team. The problem with that is the human Kong team is part of the action. They're part of pushing the plot. Like th- they are, they are there when they fight on on the on the the carriers, and you know their their decision and their choices change the course of the fight. They're the one. You know, going into the Hollow Earth, they're doing all the interesting stuff, and they're part of everything.、Mm-hmm. Whereas Millie Bobby Brown and her characters just aren't. They're off like investigating things, kind of maybe. And again, we get no real genuine introduction to these characters because it's cut to the bone. It's just like you're an archetype. Go, you're an archetype. Go, 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 go. And I think it would work better again if they were part of what was going on, but they're really not. So, at the end of the day, I would have cut their stuff completely,、um, elaborated on Sirizawa and the you know quote unquote villains stuff and their what they're going through or their beliefs, and yeah, I think you would have had a a better film or tighter as far as the human characters go. Um, but yeah, Godzilla versus Kong. That's not the way reason why you see it. You see it to see the fights. And the fights are great. I think the fights are genuinely, genuinely great. I think it's the CGI is great. You can see the fights. There's there's weight to it. They're inventive with a lot of stuff they do. It's just a massive brawl. Oh, going back to the story stuff a little bit. I really love the、um, the goofy science fiction lore. That's in these films,、mm. you know what I mean?、Right. With like ancient civilizations, Hollow Earth, right?、Um, the idea of there's there was this you know ancient war between Godzilla and Kong's people, yeah. 
I like that stuff. Include more of that. Again, cut out the the the, the human characters. Put more of that stuff in, mm-hmm. and talking about that and, and elaborating on it. That's that's another one. But no, yeah, back to the fights. The fights are great, fantastic. Um, especially that final brawl in uh, Hong Kong. <laughs> a couple, yeah, a couple of things there um, with that. Uh, and we're gonna get into some spoilers here now. If we didn't already get there, part of my. Um, Part of what I was wondering before watching this movie was how King Kong would even stand on his own against Godzilla. Because in, in in other like versions, I do believe like it wasn't like King Kong was significantly smaller than Godzilla. Um, but I oh, yeah. I didn't see Kong Skull Island, so I guess in that version he is much much bigger to the point where yes. he is the Titan that well, as you see. Uh, can basically stand toe to toe with a Godzilla. Um, yeah. Uh, I can't really. Ha- we know what this movie is for, and so like all of these issues of um, you know, things don't exactly make sense. I I guess that's true. Um, there are some, f- but I th- I guess for me, I just take them as like some unintentional hilarious moments. So for example, the idea that so they have to take Kong out of containment to take him to find hollow earth or whatever. They really didn't think traveling by ocean was going to attract Godzilla that lives basically in those the large, like they couldn't have flown him. There really was no other option to do that. And then guess what happened? Oh no, Godzilla's here. And we're all dead. <laughs> we're gonna be dead. Okay. Yeah, no. You can't you can't think about the film that way. I know, I know, and I don't hold that against the movie. I was just saying mm-hmm. it's hilarious. Here's another example. Considering how uh invasive Titans have been to humankind, why are coastal cities still a thing? Honestly, <laughs> what is yeah. what worth is there in? Because look what happened to Hong Kong. Hong Kong was basically eviscerated, annihilated, annihilated. What There's worth? Nothing left. What worth is there in rebuilding it? If only for like three years later to have some Titan brawl and then it destroys everything. There was nothing left of Hong Kong. There was nothing left. And I know like we shouldn't be thinking about these things. And again, I don't I do not hold this against the movie. It is what it is, and it's fine. But as some other have said, in in some of those moments where where they're cool, uh Godzilla and Kong, they're they're smashing through buildings, you just can't help but think of wow, how many people were in those buildings and are just dust now because only of- eight. <laughs> You're refer- you're referring to the opening because Godzilla attacks, I believe. Um, where does he attack? Florida. Florida yeah, good. Um, so he attacks Florida in the beginning, <laughs> and um, it's this big thing. And what we found hilarious was in a news report covering that event, only eight people died. 
in that they attack. Were like eight dead. But but it's so what's funny is they talk about like the world is at stake. And it's like during it seems during Godzilla's entire rampage, he only took out eight people. What do you mean the world is at stake? <laughs> He's clearly not doing a very good job at, at, at destroying humanity. Like I don't I don't I not saying it's okay for eight people to die, but I don't know if I would consider that the world being at stake. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. But don't worry, he more than made up for it in the third act. Oh, oh my God. Uh, I didn't, I guess I should have expected it, but like, so Mecha Godzilla is a thing here. And it's like, mm-hmm. here's the, here's a hilarious thing. This is another versus movie that ends up not really being a versus movie. So it's like Batman v Superman. So the movie is called Batman v Superman, but in the end, they're both team up against a better, a a greater evil in the form of doomsday. So here Godzilla and Kong fight one technically wins. And then they both unite to fight off Mecha Godzilla. The whole time I was wondering, okay, am I supposed to, cause I guess what they were implying that, Mecha Godzilla is so they used the brain of King Kidora from who mm-hmm. was dead from the last movie to power up this robotic device and I guess we're supposed to infer that spiritually the the ghost of Kidora transferred over to become the consciousness for Mecha Godzilla to then rip free from his programming and just start destroying everything. Is that what we're supposed to have inferred? See, you say that like it's crazy. I think that was perfectly <laughs> clear. I don't I I inferred it, but I was like, are we like cause we just kind of glide over it. Okay. Again, these are they don't matter in the grand scheme of things, but these are just things that occur to me. So it feels like it was blatantly obvious to you. Blatantly obvious. No, um, that the, oh God, I loved, this is the the one versus movie where I think that the, the secret villain team up actually worked. Because I wasn't expecting one to be honest with you. Like I knew Mecha Godzilla was a thing because you guys have told me, and I knew eventually that would come into play in one of these movies. I wasn't expecting him to pop up in this. (laughs) But when he did, you're like, oh, I see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you did have a definitive winner. Godzilla does win. Uh, I did predict that. Yeah. Even though I was Team Kong. (laughs) But uh, they did give you a definitive winner. And the brawl between Godzilla and Kong and and Mechagodzilla, not only do I think it makes the most sense out of all of these, but it's also the coolest and the most fun. Yeah. They're animals. So their reasonings are very basic, right? And the reasoning is they are both alpha titans with supposedly long history, uh, at least species-wise. And 
And this is another thing that just is kind of thrown out there and not really discussed <laughs> is apparently they have been fighting for a while. Yeah. Since the end of the last film. And and that's why Kong is contained. Like they they understand like they are both alpha titans and because of that they are drawn to each other to want to fight for dominance and I, apparently this has been happening. So that's why at the beginning Kong is sort of in, in isolation on Skull Island. Um, but to, to me that makes sense, right? Like, okay. And it's fun and because at that point it is a WWE match type thing. Like, I want to be top dog. No, I want to be top dog. Okay, fight. Let them fight. But then when they team up, it's like, okay, we got this other crazy ass alpha over here. That's the real enemy. Let's tag team this shit and, and take them out. And it's so much fun. <laughs> like, like yeah. they both grab Mechagodzilla by the arm and like ram him into a building. Um, they're, they're jumping. They, they have the last minute assist with Kong's axe, which we don't even talk about Kong's axe. Where where Godzilla uses his breath to to charge it up. That so was he amazing. Can use it. That was amazing. It was hilarious <laughs> was and amazing at the same time. <laughs> so he can use it to deal the death blow to Mechagodzilla. Mm -hmm. It was just, to me the dumb cheesiness shines in that in that kind of stuff right there. Right. Yeah. Like like there was a moment where again calling back to Kong's long history, he's um on top of a building right right, like right very similar to imagery you've seen in the past especially back to the first film where he fell off the empire state building um but he usually he literally does like a uh fucking look over there where he he throws a piece of uh, machinery at a building and kong turns and then he he leaps behind him and like body slams him into the building the it's it's just fucking fun so well done so fun i i liked it and again i like the um the hollow earth stuff i, I like yeah. the i think that's fun and interesting yeah and and you know the fact that there's all these this all of that like mystical mythical all the mythical aspects to um, the MonsterVerse mm -hmm. are, I think, what gives it an extra layer of interesting that makes it just, just makes it a little bit, just a little bit more than just punch, punch, punch. Right. Gives it, gives it that little flavor more. But no, I, I enjoyed the film, obviously. <laughs> no, man, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um and yeah, I'm I'm actually you know itching to watching watching it again. I'm kind of curious to like if I have time to like because um, I haven't seen Godzilla or Kong Skull Island, so those will be new movies to watch. And then King of the Monsters, and then Godzilla versus Kong. And I have to say, look, as somebody who again look for Godzilla versus Kong and King of the Monsters, for somebody who doesn't these movies don't really speak to me all that much, I do enjoy them. I do. They're very fun. Mm -hmm. And I am kind of 
wanting to see this in uh, in theaters. I really am. Yeah. So me too. If you're gonna go, give me an invite. Um, <laughs> I might just say yes. Um, what's it called? But I still say, I, even though this is not technically a monster verse movie, but it is a kaiju movie. The one that I definitely have liked the best, bar none, is Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. I honestly think that's where, if they continue, which it was up in the air before, if they would continue with this MonsterVerse, but it's it's doing very well. Now. Uh, now. Because <laughs> it wasn't really doing well with King of the Monsters, but with some lowered mm-hmm. expectations. Um, and a bit of Kong. <laughs> some, exactly. Like, it seems like this is kind of shaping up to be the savior that Tenant could only dream to be but never was for the for the theatrical experience. A monkey did a better job at saving movies than uh <laughs> than Christopher Nolan. <laughs> a monkey and a lizard. And a lizard, sorry. That's true. That is a good um, point though. Like th- no. some people have said mm-hmm. that this 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 feels more like a Kong movie. Less than a Godzilla movie. Yeah, I'm okay with that mm. because Kong, obviously, as as an ape, he's always been more humanized yeah. than Godzilla, mm-hmm. and Godzilla has always been more of like a force of nature, mm-hmm. and and Godzilla has a long history of being a villain as well, mm. right? So, sort of putting him as as the villain because I thought I actually really liked the beginning where he he rolls into Florida. And destroys shit because for this entire monsterverse so far, they've played him as a hero. The as as a hero, but so many of those old Godzilla films, he's not like mm. like he's he's the menace. Like the hero, the 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 human characters you're following, they're like fuck. How do we stop him? Right. Like, like half of all Godzilla films are him rolling in and just destroying cities for the fuck of it. Well, the American the human movie, I believe, right? Going. Yeah, that's what happened with the Emmerich movie too, right? Like, he's usually the the destroyer, right? right? <laughs> I am death, the destroyer of worlds. So t- to put him back in that role, I thought was really fun mm-hmm. and really cool to see. Right? So yeah, I I, I thought it, it worked that way. It, it didn't bother me. Right. I guess maybe if, if you don't care for Kong and you're only a Godzilla fan, maybe that would bother you. Sure. But you got King you know of the Monsters, you know, so. I will say, and this is another critique, um, there should have been three fights. There should have been a second fight yeah. in there somewhere. Mm. Yeah. And I think what would have been really cool is if Godzilla had followed them down there into the Hollow Earth. But I will say... That was an amazing, like, uh, uh, my mind was blown. So, like, they were in Hollow Earth. They were deep down in there. Coincident- coincidentally, they were in the exact same spot, um, just a few, like, in the Earth as Godzilla was in God Hong damn, Kong. is that a coincidence, right? Isn't it? And so, and, and Godzilla senses it, and he basically blows a hole in the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> All the way down to say, come get some, motherfucker. <laughs> That was neat. Yeah. In, in a dumb way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there should have been some sort of second fight. Mm-hmm. 
because you have the first fight where, where Godzilla comes out and then you should have had a second fight, you know, maybe in Antarctica and then and then like, yeah, maybe have that. Maybe Godzilla should have followed them to Antarctica and they fought in the snow. And Godzilla was you know, like, fuck that. It's cold. Yeah. Or, or Kong just knocks him the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And and then they leave through the hole. Right. So it's like, OK, Kong won round two. Um, and then in the final round at the end, you know, boom, they're going at it again. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's another little critique I would make, but yeah, overall it's a, it's a blast. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Um, I don't know what else to say. Recommend it. I thought it was good. Thought it, uh, it was so much fun. And if you need a movie to go see go see it if you're gonna go in theaters go but i ask uh keep distance be safe and uh take care of yourselves and uh yeah where does this franchise go from here peter i told kyle this um i think they should just go they should be copying comic books and comic book movies at this moment and go full-on multiverse I say Godzilla falls through the kaiju multiverse. Oh my I god! Think he, he pops into Pacific Rim and and fights Jaegers. I say he you know pops around and fights the Cloverfield monster. Um, oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah. I I think do do something to that sort. I think that w- w- wouldn't you be love to see Godzilla take on the Jaegers? I think sure, that would work. Sure. Um, as far as where you go next, hell, if they want, they could even pop in to the DC universe. Uh, <laughs> you know, like Starro. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah some cross promotion there um i say just have fun with it i I think that's what they need they need to have fun with it and just go go for that kind of shit and it should be noted that um as far as the track record and we we had already spoken to the fact that um the previous uh monsterverse films in terms of king of the monsters kong squad and godzilla um they did kind of receive lukewarm responses from audiences um not kong versus not godzilla versus kong it's it got an a cinema score the highest one of them all and you know what like everyone seems most people seem to be happy with this movie so, yeah because i because it, de- it delivered on its title yeah that's all it had to do and it did it so yeah i'm happy for them uh, because like uh, King of the Monsters was a genuinely good movie, but uh, nobody saw it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a blip, and you missed it. And it was kind of sad because we were questioning the viability of this franchise, and now things have been seemingly flipped on their head.
All right. Well, I think we're just about ready to wrap it up. Thank you all for listening. As a reminder, you can listen to our podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Google. Any Every single Sunday, sometimes on Thursdays. Yeah. We have our weekly recaps of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier with me and David. Catch the Fantasy Fair with Kyle Lira and Alexis Moreno. And then I assume, Mr. Martinez, April, um, come what may, we will release a top 10 movie show of 2020 with our panel. Yes. Okay. It will happen. Eventually. It eventually will happen. Thank you for listening. Stay in the spotlight for more content, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Holy shit, three hours?